hello, friends, and welcome back to the Proverbs 31 Ministries podcast, where we share biblical truth for any girl in any season. I'm your host, Kaylee Olson, and I'm here with two, not one, but two co-hosts and teachers today. You can't see them, but they're very excited to be here. Our president, Lisa Turkhurst, and our director of theology, Joel Mutamale. Thank you, Kaylee. We are excited. I think this is a very important topic. I agree. Thanks, Kaylee. I'm super stoked. This is so cool. So I'm excited that you guys are here with us today because for our listeners, you guys need to know that anytime Lisa and Joel are here, you're going to hear something fresh and relevant and something that challenges you every time because I know it challenges me every time and I can't take notes fast enough when they're talking. So wherever you are, if you're driving, please don't take notes right now, but go back and listen to this and get your notebook out and a pen because you're going to want to take notes. But today, Lisa and Joel are tackling the topic, When Honoring Your Parents Feels Impossible. Okay, that's a lot. Take a deep breath. (laughs) Because even just that topic, Mm -hmm. I think just the title of the topic um, is something that I want to lean into. Um, And I know we're all at different life stages. So let's go around the table at first and just say what life stage we're in. Sure. Well, I'll get us started. So I am 28. I'll be 29 in about a month. And I have been married to my husband, Jared, for five years. We are both from different states, but I grew up in the South where all of my parents are. And after college, moved to um, here at Charlotte, North Carolina, left everyone back at home. And now um, he and I have been um, living here for a little bit longer than we've been married, but um, we've been married for five years now. And so we've kind of just are, I guess, transitioning into what life is like as a, an adult couple together. I don't know if you in guys- In your own family unit. Yes, too. in our own family unit. Cause there's kind of this, this phase that you go through in the first like year or two where you kind of feel like, you know, okay, I'm here, but you know, am I still like part of the family? Is this, are we together? Are we separate or whatever? And so now I feel like, okay, we've hit the five year milestone to where it really feels like, okay, this is us now. I think that's <laughs> important for you to state that you're in that season because mm-hmm. I, I consider when I look back at that season, um, it was a little bit of shock and awe when Art and I first got married. Uh, shock in that, what do you mean that's the way your family does things? Yes. Like that's not the way my family does things. And mm-hmm. awe is like, wow, that's so cool mm-hmm. that your family does that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was a mix of both. But I think when we're trying to determine what is our family unit going mm-hmm. to be like, you know, what are uh, what are we going to value with our time and money? What are... What are even some of the ways that we express our beliefs and our views and traditions and holidays and what is the rhythm of our life? What pace are we setting it at? So I think all of those are wonderful discoveries that you get to make. But at the same time, it can also provide some disruption to expectations that your parents have, um, maybe especially in a year where there's going to be holidays, there's going to be an election, there's going to be conversation around uh, different topics and the way that we set our priorities and parameters around those conversations in our own family unit. So 
this is a complicated topic. We recognize it. <laughs> yes. Joel? Okay, that's awesome. So, Kaylee, as you were saying that, I went back to when Britt and I, my wife and I, were first married for a couple of years. And one of the things I remember was there was something so normal that I had been used to about going home for a family gathering. And then all of a sudden there's this person right next to me who is you know, attached to me, but maybe the chair next to the table that I would normally sit is actually now my sister's chair, but isn't Brit supposed to sit next to me? Like there are just these things of, of, of newness of this relationship. So, uh, mm-hmm. thank you for that. Cause I went back to how we you know navigated through that. <laughs> so, uh, I'm 34 years old and, uh, my wife Brit and I, we've just celebrated 10 years uh, of being married this year. Oh. Uh, so we're super excited. Uh, we have four children, three little boys under the age of eight and, uh, our little baby girl, Amelia Jane, MJ was born smack in the middle of a pandemic. So, uh, <laughs> We're we're excited. So we're uh, we're like I feel like our in terms of Britain and I and our relationship and our marriage, we kind of have an idea, like a pretty good idea of where we are. the The big thing for us is this uniqueness of having these children um, that like depend on us for survival <laughs> to live, but then also my mom and dad, you know, and Britt's mom and dad. And so I'm from the Chicagoland area. Britt was originally from the Pacific Northwest, Portland, kind of California area. I'm, if you guys could see me right now, I'm Indian. Did y'all, y'all knew that I'm Indian? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not only can we see it, we celebrate it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm Indian. And so one of the things about, I'm excited about this topic is in Indian culture. I know like so many cultures that are out there, um, but I know for me personally, Indian culture, uh, uh, honor culture, especially with parents, um, is super high. It's very common in the Indian family um, for all, multiple generations to live underneath one household. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Britt grew up in a different context. And so being able to navigate through even our relationship with our parents and our extended family. So that's where we're at. So good. Well, and I'm the old one in the group. <laughs> Mature, so, Lisa. Thank Mature. you, You're Kaylee. welcome. <laughs> um, I'm 50. Art and I have been married for almost 30 years, 28 and counting. We have five grown kids. So this topic is important for me to better understand what the Bible says about when you are the parent and your children are grown. And my children, Kaylee, are in the season that you are Mm -hmm. in. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) How exciting. (laughs) So I think we're going to bring a unique dynamic to the table because I know what it feels like to be the parent of adult children and to make the necessary adjustments to give them the freedom to establish their own family units while very much bringing to the table my own set of desires of what our family unit will continue to look like. And so there is this tension there. Um, I think it's important, a couple of words I want to lay on the table, and then Joel want to jump right into the biblical teaching. One is expectations. So this is a really big word that I think comes up whenever you're talking about family relationships. Mm. And it's easier when your children are smaller to clearly set what is expected um, from your children when 
they are being raised. So, and I think the Bible is very clear about um, honor your father and your mother. Mm-hmm. But today I want to look bo- at both sides of this. And I think, Joel, the passage that we've picked is going to look at both sides. But I, I do want a couple words to use some vocabulary. Expectations. I want us to challenge ourselves when we talk about family dynamics to set that word expectations aside. And instead, I'd love for us to use the word longing, Mm. desire, want, some of those words, because the word expectation brings with it um, a bit of animosity that I did not understand until I was doing a live Instagram with my counselor recently. (laughs) I love doing live Instagrams with him because it's like free therapy for me. (laughs) Instead of paying $175, uh, I can speak to him for an hour doing an Instagram live, but I get to bring the topic. And so like, yeah, this is amazing. And then everybody gets to simultaneously listen in. Usually... It works amazing. (laughs) Except a good counselor is always looking to see what words you're using because your words frame your reality. Mm. And so I brought up the topic. I think we should talk about expectations today. And I went on for 15 minutes talking about, here's why I think expectations are fascinating because everyone has realistic expectations and unrealistic expectations. And, you know, it's really important to decide together in your relationships what is realistic, what is unrealistic. And then with those realistic expectations, let's talk about how we can meet those expectations, you know, and just on and on and on. So after about 15 minutes, I finally stopped to take a breath (laughs) kind of like what I'm doing right now. (laughs) And my counselor, Jim, leaned in and he said, Lisa, your words frame your reality. So let's look at that word you keep using, expectations, because expectations are really premeditated resentments. Oh, So um, I think that's an important thought to lay here on the table at mm-hmm. first, and there's a big difference between bringing an expectation, which basically says, I expect you to do this or else, right? Like this, this is not only a desire I have, but it is a desire I have that I'm very much feeling like you need to meet and within a certain time frame, and, you know, within a certain way. Okay, so I think that's a, an important thing. The other thing, the other word, it's also an E word that I want to lay down on the table. It's extremes. Mm. And I think sometimes when you hear the word honor, if you've ever had a situation where the word honor has been taken to an extreme, there's already this built-in trigger to that word. Um, And I I think Ecclesiastes 7.18 is a good verse to go ahead and establish we are not talking about extremes here. Mm. We are not talking about when honor has been taken to an extreme or when neglect has been taken to extreme, both on the side of the parents and the children. And we recognize within the family unit, sometimes there has been a toxic dysfunction that has gone unchecked where taken to an extreme, it's become very hurtful. Ecclesiastes seven eighteen says this, it is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. So I think that, is important that we sort of build some framework around the definitions of the words. We're not trying to take any of these words to an extreme. We're also not trying to create 
expectations with premeditated resentments built in. So let's, for the sake of our conversation, let's use the word longing, desire, uh, biblical instruction, and set aside the word expectations. If you use it, I'm not going to set off the alarm. I may make the mistake and use it. (laughs) So what we're just saying like, hey, let's lean in this Mm -hmm. way and let's not take what we're talking about to such extremes like Ecclesiastes just instructed us. Let's avoid those extremes. Joel? Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think let's even dive into that expectations idea in terms of how do we approach God's word? Uh, And I think often uh, we approach it, if we're not careful, with the series of expectations that we actually want God's word to bring to us. And so even as we jump into Ephesians 6 uh, and look at verses 1 through 4, let's lay down uh, and make an intentional decision to lay down what our expectations are um, and really look at what is the text getting at? What, What is uh, the scriptures getting at. One of the first things we want to do is take a step back and consider what is the context of this text? Uh, what's actually taking place for the people of God? God's word is not um, stoic. It's not cold. It's not something that we just look at through a lens uh, as if, uh, you know, these weren't real life people. They're real life people. This is um, a real person, Paul, who's speaking to a real church in Ephesus. And if you think about your church, uh, let's just take a moment and just talk about your church experience. So uh, when you would walk into your church, Kaylee, what is your experience of the people who are in the church? My church now or my church growing up? Let's do both. Okay. Um, Growing up, very kind of like small, mid-sized Southern Baptist church, lots of um, old people mixed with young people. I remember Sunday school, so everybody was welcoming. Oh, that's so good. Old people mixed with young people. Now, please tell me you had church potlucks. Uh, Yes. We did this thing Oh my gosh, y'all. I remember it now. It was called Stew Illy Oop. It oh was my. stewed chili and soup. If night. you could see Lisa's face right now when you said that. <laughs> this is amazing. Thank you for inviting us all You're into welcome. your experience. This is so good. You're welcome. This is this is almost as good as Shack and Lisa for chicken. That what yes. that's what makes yeah. me think of it. Yeah. Yes. I feel like we're gonna go down a rabbit trail. But okay. This is good. That that was growing up. Very, okay. very country, very kind of stereotypical just Southern Baptist church, you know, in the South, um, very family oriented. Now, um, my church is a multi-ethnic church. It would be what some people call a mega church. I don't like calling it a mega church, but there are a lot of people who attend that church. Um, when I go in, I feel chased down by the people who want to say hello to me in the best way. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like growing up, sometimes if if you attend a small church, um, you know the people who are there, but then it's kind of like, you know, you speak to these people, but not to these people. But now I feel like I want to say hello to everybody because everybody's saying hello to me. And so it's just a different um, worship experience than I was used to, but also a different like cultural experience and what I was used to growing up. Yeah, that's so good. No stewie willy oops. No stewie willy oops here. I think you should bring it back though. No. I'm scared to even say that word. Like that is quite a word. It's like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, right? Right, right. Um, Okay, so are you looking at me now, Joel? So, you know, growing up, church was not a consistent experience for me. So I did not have a consistent church experience growing up. So I probably can't even answer that question. Yeah. Um, I do remember we went to different churches at different times, but then we would also have stretches where church wasn't really a part of our life. Yeah. Um, now I go to a um, also a multi-ethnic church that is um, very 
good at, I can walk in with my family um, that's a multi-ethnic family mm -hmm. and we feel at home and like we found our place there. Wow. And so I think that's really good. We don't ever have potlucks or <laughs> soup de loos or whatever <laughs> you're saying. I don't think I've ever been to one of those. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's so good. So my church experience, I grew up uh, in going to a church that was primarily, um, I would say Caucasian, primarily white for a season. And then they became really multi-ethnic, like Latinos and then um, Indian families. And it was a really incredible experience. But uh, I, as I mentioned, I'm Indian. My parents actually uh, were part of an Indian church. And so on Saturday nights, we would go to an Indian church. And then on Sundays, we would go to, you know, um, our other church. And one of the things about the Indian church is that everybody was together all the time. So we didn't really have, and you kind of alluded to it, we didn't really have like Sunday school for the kids. Like all the kids are there. Um, all the parents are there and they're there together. When we look at Ephesians chapter six, notice the very first word that is out there is the word children. And when we look at the Greek text here, um, it would have been so helpful, Paul. This is if I was talking to Paul, I'd say, Paul, this would have been so helpful if you use the technical word for little children, or if you use the technical word for adolescent children, which there actually isn't even one in the Greek language, or if you use the technical term, term for an adult child. But the phrase that he uses is a generic term. So it could encompass a um, young child, an infant, all the way to an adult child um, who, you know, is out of the house and has their own established family, and yet they're still a child to somebody else. The church in Ephesus, y'all, describes exactly, Kaylee, what you and Lisa just described. It, it, it is a, a church that is a multi-ethnic church, multicultural, socioeconomically diverse. There are different people from different backgrounds that are all coming Coming together and they've been knit together in this powerful way by the Spirit of God. Here's the one unique thing about the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, though, is split up into smaller home churches. And so there would be smaller pockets of churches. And so you would have these families that would gather together. And so as Paul says this, I want us to have this in mind. Imagine being in that environment with people from different backgrounds, but also your kids who are there as well. And maybe you're that adult child. Maybe you're that infant child. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, and I want to read the whole way through from verses 1 through 4. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I know the first half of this verse is one of our favorite ones, right? Like on Mother's Day or Father's Day, we want shirts that are printed <laughs> that say that phrase, honor your father and, uh, father and mother. This is a unique verse because this is one of the only places where you actually have the promise or the print. I'm going to teach us that it's a principle that comes after it. And Paul says, this is the first commandment with the promise. Uh, he's quoting from Exodus chapter 20, 20. So notice what Paul is doing. He's actually giving the people in this uh, various diverse background a history lesson of their origins of sort. And he's saying this idea of honor, of obedience, of love and kindness towards your family is not something new that came post-Jesus. In fact, this is rooted in the very fabric of our existence when we've formed into and become part of the family of God. Now, at this point, I think we've got a bit of questions. Uh, for instance, 
what does it actually mean to obey your parents? And isn't it interesting in verse two, it starts with the word honor. So what's the difference between honor and obey? Okay, because verse one, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Yes. And verse two, honor your father and mother. Right. So it seems like there's two distinct situations happening. Exactly. And this is actually why I think Paul is very intentional in why he uses this generic word for children, because he's going to, and we're going to see some very specific instances, like the difference between obey and honor, that he's going to say, depending on your context, so Kaylee, for your situation, Joel, for my situation, for Lisa, for your situation, depending on where we are, we're going to have to do some work to say, okay, based off of this, here's kind of a, um, a response in terms of what honor and obedience look like for based off of our um, place in our life and in our relationship with our parents. So uh, let me just give this big idea of honor. I would say that the biblical view of honor is a heart posture towards somebody. It's a heart posture towards somebody that's filled with reverence and respect. A heart posture filled with reverence and respect. Um, I think of people like Moses and Pharaoh you know, when we when we uh, read the interaction between the two, Moses says some really harsh things to Pharaoh, but he actually always says it within the context of respect. Pharaoh is still Pharaoh. When we think of Daniel and um, his situation, he always treats the king with respect and honor, right? Um, and so this is about our heart attitude. And so that's one of the first kind of gut checks we want to make is say, okay, what is my heart attitude? Obedience is actually a um, fruit of honor. Obedience, if if honor's on the on the left hand side, obedience is on the far right hand side, and it's the extreme overflow of honor and obedience. In this context, um, we really want to pay attention and say, okay. What is obedience connected to? Now, we have to remember that the Bible is written in Greek and it was translated into English. And so when we read it, Lisa and Kaylee, when we read it, we say, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It seems very clear, right? Obey your parents. And then there's this kind of afterthought in the Lord. And then it moves on. Honor mm-hmm. your father and mother. When we actually look at the Greek, and I know this was something, uh, Lisa, that you were intrigued by. I want you to kind of just share your thoughts on mm-hmm. this. But when we look at the Greek, the word obey, the Greek word obey is not connected to your parents. It's actually connected to the phrase in the Lord. And so we've translated this children obey your parents in the Lord because it's probably the easiest way to understand it, you know. Um, but again, our expectations is that in order of priority, there's children, there's obey, there's your parents, and then the afterthought is in the Lord. But because of the way that the Greek is, is, is built, actually, I would translate it this way. Children, obey in the Lord your parents, for this is right. So thoughts on that. Yeah, I remember the. I remember exactly where I was when you and I were talking about this verse and how you said, Lisa, you have to attach the obedience to the Lord. And I just had to pause for a minute mm-hmm. and go, wow. Because I think we have to remember sometimes people are in situations with their parents where it almost feels as if we're going to have to make a choice. Do we honor and obey the Lord or do we honor and obey our parents if our parents are asking us to do something that is not in keeping with 
God's word. Mm. So there are complications to this. And I've also heard this verse weaponized. I'm very careful to try not to ever weaponize it with my children. So with apologies to my children, if I have ever done this to you, (laughs) (laughs) disclaimer there, you know, I do think it's important, like we said at the beginning, not to take this to extremes. It's not that we don't want to obey our parents, but I do think it's important to keep it in the context of making sure we're being obedient to the Lord. And so I was really excited when we were studying this because I thought, the Bible is not asking me to not honor God's word. Yeah. This is good. I keep thinking about, um, you know, this is silly, but training my dog versus being trained as a child growing up where when I'm training my dog, I start with obedience and I don't start with honor. So, and I discipline. It's like, if you do this, Penny, you will get a treat. And so she does it based on the reward. And so it's not from a heart posture, but this helps me so much in just seeing how it comes from the heart posture of honor and obedience is a response to that that doesn't need a reward. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of coaxed with like, oh, you get ice cream or you get this if you do this. But obedience can, it won't last if it's only based on what I'm going to get out of it. It's only going to last if I'm going to be honoring first. That's so eye-opening. Yeah, I think you're bringing up a really good point too. And of course, we've got children of different stages, Joel. Mm -hmm. But um, I think there are different seasons when you are raising children where you need to understand um, when it's time to make a transition. Mm -hmm. And this has been one of the most challenging things to me as I look back. I've been raising children now for a long time. A long time. (laughs) (laughs) So um, our sons are uh, just knocking on the door of 30. Mm -hmm. And uh, we adopted them uh, when they were, I think, 11 and 12 or 12 and 13 years old. And then um, our daughters we've had since birth. So there have been different seasons where I, as a parent, have had to step back and say, I'm trying to shape and mold and guide my children, but I have to recognize there are different seasons. Mm. When they're younger, I need to establish what the rules are And I need to establish how we are going to follow the rules. And then there comes this moment. And it's not like you wake up that morning and there's a big flashing neon light that says, Joel, today's the day you start transitioning your older son from being spoken to as a child to being talked with because he has a different capacity to understand that this isn't just about me shaping your behavior. It's about me helping guide your heart Mm -hmm. so that the behavior becomes a natural overflow of a heart that's been shepherded well. And I think that's really important. So um, I love this, that we, in order to properly guide our children's hearts, it has to be the Lord has to be part of that so that it's a simultaneous understanding of these principles and these rules. But what's most important is that it's an 
an overflow, uh, your obedience is an overflow of a heart that's already been guided really well by biblical principles. This is so good. And I think when we look at that very first verse, we say, okay, uh, Pastor Paul, right? Because he's Pastor Paul in the church at Ephesus. You said children, and he has these sentences directed towards children. But then in verse 4, he shifts and he says fathers. Um, and he goes right away from the expectation. We're not using the word expectation. The the um, longing, the desire. The uh, teaching. The teaching. Mm-hmm. The instruction. The instruction for these children. But then he goes right into the longing, desire, teaching for the father. Now, some of y'all are like, wait a minute, Joel. How come in the first verse, Verse or second verse, it says, honor your father and mother. And then in verse four, it's like, fathers, what happened to mom? You know? Well, in the, I did some study in this because I, I was curious about this. In the Greco-Roman world, um, there this is really interesting. The expectation, kind of the way that the family system was set up, is that the, the mom would actually handle the majority of the educational responsibilities up to a time period when the child hits kind of adolescence, um, maybe a little bit older, kind of those, those early 20s, think college age, you know, you graduate high school. At that point, it would actually be the father's responsibility to step in because now you're kind of thinking about vocation which and you know you would typically do what your dad did something along those lines the father would step in and to do it so again remember when we talked about that first word children and the complexity why well because this encompasses this entire range of children from the the infants that have already kind of been you know addressed but then this idea of fathers of saying okay there's a range of um, uh, of ages and then this is what Paul says fathers uh, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, I love this because what you both have just taught us is exactly what Paul is getting at when he's speaking to moms and dads in terms of how they're supposed to raise, train, and instruct their children. So Lisa, in your Bible, because we already know Joel's reading from the ESV, <laughs> and so the ESV says discipline, but I want to I want to just say that um, we are equal here, and I actually really love what the NIV says. Lisa, what is that NIV? Raise NIV. the Lord. <laughs> okay, fine. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I love okay. that. I actually love that word. I do too. So tell me exactly what this means because I want to really understand this. Yeah, exactly. Before my children weaponize this against me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually really like <laughs> no, that. No, I have enemy. great kids, but go ahead. Yeah, yes, I, no, I, I love this because what, what Paul is getting at is don't create a system. Don't create a system where your kids are set up for failure. Ooh. Say it again, Joel. That Do not is so create good. a system that sets up your kids for failure. And now I'm just going to be very personal, y'all. Um, my oldest son and my middle son and my youngest son are three very different sons. What happens sometimes? Who, by the way, prayed for me yesterday? They, they did. I mean, they are the sweetest boys in the whole world. So, Joel, so whenever you do <laughs> exasperate them, Auntie Lisa. Yeah, you're going to come for me. I'm going to come for you. I'm going to have them over to my house. Oh, they don't want to leave. The, one of the things that I have realized in this, this is the verse that's con, that's convicting for me, is that at times I have expectations of my of my middle child that are really appropriate for my older child. So mm. when I do that to my middle child, Levi, I actually set up a system of expectation, which we already know is not the word we want to use here, Um 
but a system that is going to exasperate him because it's actually setting him up for failure. And so I really need to step back and consider what is the appropriate system, structure, relationship, responsibility that I'm to have with my children. I think this is the hard work of parenting, and we all know this, um, and even as children, like with our siblings, you know, um, they're very different from who we are. And so sometimes it's like, man, can you just treat me the way that, you know, my brother Noel was treated? And my mom would be like, no, because you're not him. You're, you're somebody different. And so when Paul says this, he this if I'm a dad, I'm just, again, Pastor Paul is preaching, and I'm a dad, and I listen to him say this, I'm going, <laughs> there's a bit of a gut check here because we just got set up. Like, see, I'm looking at my kids. Did you just hear what Pastor Paul said? Obey your your mother and father. Honor them, you know? And then right with, a, with an uppercut comes, and by the way, parents, you have an equal and arguably, and I'm going to bring this up here, a greater responsibility to set up the system for the benefit of your children, to set them up to actually not just honor you, but when children honor their parents, it's actually, we're going to talk about this, a formation of the heart that teaches them how to honor the Lord. This is actually instructive, not just in human-to-human relationships, but this is an instruction for them to experience a lifelong, eternity-long relationship with God the Father. Now, how do we know that? Um, well, the word discipline that, that uh, is brought up. Now, Lisa, go to that one because you said uh, the, the, um, the provoke word, but how does that finish in the NIV? Verse four. Yes. Okay. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So in the ESV, that word uh, training is translated discipline. I really like training. When I got into the essence of this word, the word is actually about the formation of a human being. So the system, the um, the relationship, what are we talking about? We're actually talking about not just A plus B equals C. We're teaching math or arithmetic or uh, sociology. We're actually talking about who is the type of individual, the person, the human that our children are becoming. And I actually think this is one of those circles, right? Because... As we're forming our children um, to be a type of people, uh, young men, young women, uh, that have such an honor for the Lord, first and foremost, um, because they've seen it evidence in our own lives, I have to believe that we're actually paving the path and creating a fertile ground for a future relationship that we're going to have with our children that I can't imagine. So I'm curious, like, how does that, you know, look with you and your kids? Because with my kids, it's not there, but it seems like there is an anticipation for a future relationship with your adult children that will look different. And I want to bring up one more unique thing about verse four, the word, but, uh, there, uh, but bring them up in the discipline. We read over that and it's like, okay, but bring them up. The Greek word there is Allah. And it could probably be better translated as on the contrary. Um, it is a uh, emphatic, the word is an adversative. Uh, it is there with like um, massive emphasis. So if you're sitting there and you're listening to Paul speak, which we miss sometimes while we're reading, but if we listened to him speak, we would all stop because he just elevated his voice, his tone, his pitch. This is a word that was used to stop you on your tracks and to show a massive juxtaposition. So don't provoke your children, but like, please, he's pleading with them. Please bring them up for the formation of their hearts and their lives in what? 
the instruction of the Lord. And so we're seeing a full picture here of what it means to honor your father and your mother. And it's instructive, not just for children, uh, young children and adult children, but it's super instructive for us as parents um, as well. So good, Joel. So there are three things that I would say I try to keep in mind or I've tried to keep in mind as I was raising my kids that I I think helped this. Um, we have really good relationships with all five of our kids. Um, I think that we did a lot wrong. I want to clearly state there are <laughs> definitely times where I can look back and go, wow, I totally probably exacerbated that child and that <laughs> child and that child at this time and this time and this time. Okay, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, because I think it's important to know we're not talking about doing this with perfection. We're talking about doing it with intentionality. So I can give you three things. Um, and this is the kind of conversation we would have, Joel, if we were just sitting there and Kaylee, you and Jared might lean in too, you know, mm-hmm. and just talk about like, hey, raising kids is not for the faint at heart. It mm-hmm. is a huge responsibility. So I would say one thing that Art and I did that we were very intentional about is one of our highest priorities in raising our kids was to keep them talking. Wow. Now, this ran a little bit against the uh, norms in um, our Southern roots because uh, there at times can be this cultural thing, like don't talk back, okay? And I get it. In other words, don't say things back to your parents that just demonstrate your disrespect or disregard for what they're saying. Um, And while we did not encourage disrespect in our home, we did encourage our children to continue the conversation. The reason this was so important is because if we can keep them talking, then we can keep engaging them. And if we can keep engaging them, we have a much better chance at... uh, helping navigate and steer their thought processes so that we set them up to make wiser choices for themselves, biblically and emotionally. So keep them talking. That was really important. Um, And of course, there were parameters around that. I have one child that asked more questions (laughs) than you could possibly imagine. So keep them talking at certain times started to feel like I'm not going to be able to do this and keep my sanity. Um, So it didn't mean giving them free reign to talk all the time. It meant enter into dialogue, ask them questions, help me understand. Um, Really, instead of negating their feelings, um, really leaning into them and saying, I believe you. Like, I believe that that is how you feel. Um, But my child that asked too many questions about probably three o'clock, if it was a particularly good day, it may be more like five o'clock, six o'clock when the questions continued and the questions continued, I would say to her, sweetheart, you've got three questions left for the rest of the day. Use them wisely. <laughs> now, here's what's really funny. Her husband now says that to her. No way. That's yes. amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Have a nice day. Okay. So keep them talking. Number two is be a student of your child. And Joel, you've already hinted at this. Different children process life in different ways. They're bringing so many unique bents. So while we want a system that is consistent, we also want to make sure that we navigate our children as individuals because they are very 
individual. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to be careful not to really like hurt a child of a certain bent because they are processing life differently than Mm -hmm. the other children. And you know this, Joel, with having four kids, I have five, so they are so very different in the Mm -hmm. way that they approach life. So sometimes I had to say to my children to honor and appreciate your differences. Things may not always appear equal, but we will make them as fair as possible. In other words, you know, when a child, um, when you are generous with a child and they are continuing to handle that generosity with appropriate amounts of gratitude and the ability to share and all of that, they're putting on demonstration, you can entrust me with more. But if a child is starting to develop some sort of mentality of um, entitlement or lack of appreciation or the ability not to share, then, you know, you may have to adjust your generosity because you don't want to overgive and set up something that's going to be detrimental for them long-term. And the third thing that I would say is very, very important, and this is one that I'm still trying to improve on to this day, is part of, I think, not exasperating our children is to ask them, you know, do you have this to give or do you not have this to give and not set up everything so rigidly that you're making demands, but rather you set them up to be successful. In other words, like I love to play games. I mean, my family knows that I love to play games. Who won last night? That would be me. You can see it. You can see it on uh, Hope's Instagram. I saw it. Yeah. Yes. Anytime, Joel, you see me stand up, raise my arms in victory. I saw it. I was like, yeah. Yeah. She must have won. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm very proud of my win last night. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think... Now, obviously, you'll have to adjust this as your children are younger. But now, I... I have to give my kids the freedom when I say, hey, let's have a family game night tonight. I have to quickly add, do you have that to give Mm. or do you not have that to give? And I think that's important to just start to shepherd your child's heart at a young age to say, I respect you as an individual. Part of how I had to do this when they were young children, obviously, if I said, you know, clean the kitchen. Do you have it to give? Do you not have it to give? They would all say, no, don't have that to give. So obviously this has to be scaled a little bit, but I would have to ask my kids or give them room to be successful. Mm. Like here's my expectation that you clean these dishes by this point. And obviously expectation, we're being careful. Here's my desire. Uh, Here's what I would like for you to do. Here's my instruction to you as a parent. I want you to clean these dishes and they, they do need to be cleaned by this point. But there's a little freedom here. Like if you, you know, want to first go make a phone call before you clean the dishes, I'm not going to see that as disrespect because I have so much confidence that the dishes will get done. That is part of your responsibility, responsibility, but it needs to be done by this time. And how you do it is up to you, just as long as it's done correctly. And I think that helping give children the ability um, in increasing ways as they grow older helps set a tone 
uh, for them when they are older that you aren't there to dictate that they answer to your beck and call every time, but rather you set that tone. Do you have this to give and do you not have this to give? Mm. And that is really amazing, even as parents, to model for your kids because you want your kids, your adult kids, to do that same thing for you. Wow. So those are three things. Now, of course, when you talk about um, being the parent of older children and making sure that you also respect the boundaries that your older children then will bring as they establish their own families in their own homes. You know, it cannot see be seen as them dishonoring you. There's a big difference wow. between them doing life differently and them dishonoring you. Wow, that's good. And I think that if, if this would be a much longer discussion, but I think that if you as a parent have modeled this in their growing up years, that you're going to give them space to make their own choices. When they do make their own choices, it won't be seen as a personal attack or a personal disrespect to you. I think you can give them freedom. Now, obviously, boundaries go both ways. And when I say boundaries, I don't mean pushing the other person away. I mean holding yourself together, communicating. This feels safe. This doesn't feel safe. This feels reasonable. This doesn't feel reasonable, which takes it all the way back to the first principle I said, and that is keep them talking. You know, clarity is always a conversation away. I think some of the scripture teaching that you've brought to the table would make a fantastic family conversation. How do we live this out? We're not trying to establish the foundation of all of this teaching on our own. We're using God's word. God's word is timeless. It is relevant. It's important. So how can we come together, parents and children, young and old, and talk about this verse in such a way that we're not afraid of other people sharing, hey, here's something that you could do better because we know they're going to bring also the the sensitivity. Here's something I could do better. Yeah. So I think that's all part of establishing a family where honor and honoring the Lord together is what's important. Wow. This is so good. I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about, but what I'm taking away from this is just that Whoever's listening, whether you're maybe 28, almost 29, like me, maybe you're in your mid 30s, like Joel, maybe you're mature, like Lisa, and you I love have how you phrase that. You're so mature, Lisa, and you're stylish and all that. But <laughs> no matter, no matter what age you are, I feel like there's a lot to this. This teaching is heavy in a way because everybody is bringing their own history yes. into this, and we didn't even talk about that today, which I think would be a good conversation for a later time at some point, or we've got there being theology resources on that too. But this is something that we all need to go to open-handed with and say, God, what do you have for me with this? And I think for the people who have grown up with less than honoring parents, or maybe you're struggling with that, it's not too late for you to start either and whatever that looks like for you. I think that's yeah. so good, Kaylee. And I do think it would be important to recognize mm -hmm. that if you are in a toxic or dysfunctional situation, um, there's a lot of pain that happens here. You know, there are parents that I'm sure we will hear from that will say, my, my kids haven't talked to me in mm, 20 yep. years, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of pain wrapped up in that. Then there's also some, uh, 
some adult children that we'll probably hear from that says, you know, I've tried to live out this verse and it's only served to put me in a state of extreme mental unhealth, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's been Mm -hmm. something I've been working on with my therapist and all that. So we want to say, remember, like we said at the beginning, there are things that um, that have to be paid attention to if there's an extreme example of yeah. hardship or hurt here. But we do have some excellent therapy and theology um, recordings for from this podcast that would be very helpful. Yes. And boundaries, the one we did on boundaries, is one of those. Mm-hmm. And so it is not disrespectful to your parents to lovingly and respectfully communicate a boundary. And the only time someone would have a problem with a boundary is if the boundary is really needed. Needed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that's important to establish. But um, we are for families. We are for you. If you are a parent, we are for you. If you are the children, I'm so thankful we have God's word to guide us the whole way through. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for being here today. I do have one great resource that I want to point our listeners to now that you can take action on immediately. It's something that our team's pulled together and it's called Now What? Which is so fitting for um, after you've listened to a podcast like this where there's a lot of heavy stuff that you've got to process or whatever you're learning at church um, in your Bible study or whatever. It's a free resource that you can download. You can print it off and it will guide you through how to practically apply the message that you heard. And so I think that's perfect for today. It's in our show notes on our website at proverbs31.org slash listen. You can download that and share it with your friends. Um, All right. Well, guys, thank you again for being here today. This is all we have time for. I've enjoyed this. And um, guys, thank you for listening. We pray that this teaching today helped you know the truth of God's word and helps you live out that truth because we know when you do, it changes everything. 